Well, I'd invite you to grab a seat. Tabby and the band will be back a little bit later. Hey, I don't know uh, if you have a friend who just seems to have that ability to like be able to smooth talk the ladies uh, or ladies to be able to smooth talk the guys, you know, just sliding into the DMs and all of a sudden they've got a date. Uh, I don't know if you have one of those friends. Guys, I feel like we have a lot of friends who think that they're really good at that. Okay, I know a lot of guys in my friendship circles who are like, man, I could get any girl's number any time of the day. Even if she's got a boyfriend, she would go on a date with me. I just can do that. But they don't actually have the ability to do that. Uh, I want to let you know I've never had the ability to do that. Uh, I had a very unique ability. It was to sit in the friend zone, which, which, okay, you can laugh at that. Like, I'm married now, so I finally got out of the friend zone. It took me a while, but I got there. But I was thinking about it the other day, and I can pinpoint the exact moment that I somehow locked myself in the friend zone. And I really struggled to find out how, because I feel like I had a really good start in life, because this was me at preschool. Like, I had game. Like, I rocked those suspenders. Like, I was hip. If I walked into a coffee shop today wearing that, I could get so many numbers, I reckon. I wouldn't, though, because I'm married, obviously. But if I was single, and, and I, I took the confidence of those suspenders, my parents dressed me really snappy, I took the confidence that those suspenders gave me, and I, I rolled that all the way through into primary school. And, uh, and I rolled that through all the way through to grade three. And there was a fateful day in grade three that I'll never forget where I entered the friend zone and then I was there for for all through my teenage years. And I'll never forget what happened. Uh, There was a girl I liked in uh, in my grade three class and I remember vividly, I went to my mum and I was like, mum, there's a girl I like, what should I do? Straight away, that should be a warning signal, like you're slipping, Chris, because you're going to mum for relationship advice. That's never a good start. But my mum was pretty clued in. Mum was pretty clued in. She's like, honey, what you've got to do is I've seen around school that the way the boys and girls are getting in is they share their lunchbox with each other. So if, if, apparently it was the thing in grade three uh, that if you were to go up to a girl and you'd be like, hey, would you like to share some lunch with me? And they would be like, they would to pick something and they'd be like, oh, I'd like that. Would you like this of mine? And then you were in. So I had this game plan that, that this, this day, I'd chosen this particular day and I was going to go, I was going to ask this girl if she'd like to share some lunch with me. Here's my problem. I don't like sharing my food with anyone. Uh, my wife will tell you, I I'm not a good sharer. Like, if she wants a chips, I'll get another chip so she can have some of those. Uh, and so I was very strategic about this because there was no way I was giving her open slather on my lunchbox. So I picked one strategic item to offer her to share. And so I, <clears throat> I walked across the lunch. You know, like, everything kind of went slow. I zoned in on this girl, and I walked across the little lunch room, and I, I sat down next to her, and I was like, would you like to share my licorice? I didn't realize that apparently 90% of the, of the world don't like black licorice. And this girl turns to me and goes, no, I really don't like licorice. And that, like it was all over at that point and I was in the friend zone. And for whatever reason, try as hard as I might, all, all through primary school, couldn't get out. All through high school, couldn't get out. Uh, in fact, for the first couple of weeks that my, my now wife and I were, were flirting, I didn't realize she was flirting with me. I thought she was just like being my friend because I was so used to being in the friend zone, I was tripped out when I asked for her number and she gave it to me. And maybe, maybe, you, uh, maybe you struggle like me to be in the friend zone. Uh, you're, you're like, I, I'm in the friend zone, I just don't know how to get out. Or maybe, maybe you've moved past that. But maybe some of you are at a point in your relationships where you're single and you really wish you were in a relationship. Maybe, maybe there are some of you who you're in a relationship and you wish you were single. You, you don't know how to get out of it. You're like, I need to hit the eject button on that. 
Maybe for some of you, you you've been in relationships in the past and it is, it, it is hurt, like you've been, uh, people have hurt you, and they've caused you to doubt whether there ever is such a thing as happily ever after, whether there is someone really out there for you. Uh, maybe there are some of you who, uh, who have some friends who are going through difficult times in relationships, and so maybe this series could be for them, because what we're going to do over the next three weeks uh, if you're new here at Beyond, my name is Chris, and we're so glad you're here. But the way we do things is we have series, and so we'll take a big idea and we'll deep dive into it from a whole heap of different angles. And so this series, over the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about it, and really our agenda is simple. Uh, we want you to have a love life that allows you to love life. Because there are so many of us where when it comes to our love life, our love life is a point of tension. And we think that, that while their tensions are inevitable in relationships, that your love life can be something that you actually enjoy. Your love life can set you up for happily ever after. Maybe not the happily ever after that you see in the movies, but there is a way to get to happily ever after. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this idea. But tonight, we're going to wade into that conversation by addressing the biggest relationship myth that is out there. And it's a relationship myth that sounds so nice on the surface, but... If we smuggle it into our relationships, and if we don't think about it too much, it can set us up for relational failure down the track. And this myth that we're going to explore tonight is simply this, it's the right person myth. Now, before you kind of like get offended at me, if you're a Disney fan, I understand like, you know, well, I'm not saying that there's not a right person out there for you, or maybe, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That's not, that's not what the right person myth is. The right person myth is simply this, that, that the belief that when I find the right person, everything will be all right. That you believe that when I get to a point in my life that, that I'm going to find someone and all of a sudden, the hurts from my past will be all right. That the, uh, the breakups that I've experienced in the past will be all right. The lack of trust that I've experienced up to this point will all of a sudden be all right. And let's be honest, this sounds so good, doesn't it? Because who, who doesn't want to find the Jay-Z to their Beyonce? Who doesn't want to find the Mila Kunis to their Ashton Kutcher? Who doesn't want to find the Justin Bieber to their Selena Gomez? I know they're broken up, but let's, let's be honest, they'll get back together, they'll live happily ever after. So that's why I included that one in there. And it sounds so nice, right? It sounds so nice, but what it causes us to do is to ask a question that goes like this, how can I find the one? It's a question that leads us to search. Where can I put myself in a position that I can find the one? And what that often does is when we're in relationships, it says, well, you know, the reason that that relationship in the past didn't work out is because they weren't the one. The reason, the reason that we didn't communicate really well is because obviously they weren't the one. The reason that we, we couldn't work through the differences in opinion we had, whether they were religious or political, or the differences we had with our friendship groups, are, is obviously because they weren't the one. And that's okay, that's not their fault, it's not my fault, we just, we just weren't the one, we weren't meant to be together. But if you were to imagine for a second that your life is a bucket, you know and I know that, that as we go through life, we have experiences that we put into our bucket and we enter into a relationships that are all kind of part of our bucket of stuff and our bucket of life. And some of those are really positive experiences, but some of those are negative experiences. And some of those relationships and some of those experiences we have cause us to have low self-esteem. 
Maybe because of something someone said or something someone told you, you've believed the lie that I don't, I don't deserve a relationship. I don't deserve to be with someone who, who treats me with respect. Maybe because of the, the relationships that you've seen modelled in your life, you believe that, that sure, fairy tales are nice, sure, the movies are great, but, but it's never going to work out that way. And so you just have to get with someone who's good enough and then you just have to grit your teeth and hold on for the ride. Maybe, and, and what happens as we go through life is we really collect these holes in our bucket. And so what we do is we go through life with these holes in our bucket. And we look and we try to find the right person and we, we believe this myth that, hey, if I can just find the right person they'll cap the holes in my bucket. If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. They'll fix all the holes that I have in my life. And the truth is, whether, whether we want to admit it or not, we say and we acknowledge that each and every one of us has holes in our bucket. We probably just don't say it that way. You might say it something like, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody is perfect. And that's true. So what happens is, is that there's two people and we're out there and we're assuming that, hey, if I meet the right person, everything will be all right. The problem is both of us have holes in our bucket. So then both of us go into this relationship assuming that everything will be all right. And really all we've done is double the amount of holes that we have to deal with. Because now all of a sudden, Mr. Blue is expecting Mrs. Red to fill all his holes. And Mrs. Red is expecting Mr. Blue to fill all her holes. Both of the while, they've still got holes in their own bucket. And it's not possible for the other person to be able to fix their holes. And this is what can smuggle into our relationships and set us up for relational failure if we're not careful. Because two people with two buckets with holes in, if you put them together in a relationship, equals twice the amount of problems. Not everything will be all right. So, I think that there's a better question that we can ask. That there's a better question, as opposed to how can I find the one, there's a better question we're going to look at tonight, and I'm going to let you know before I show you this question, it's not sexy. It's not a, a, a question that you look at and you're like, oh, that sounds so exciting, that sounds so sexy, that's like something everyone wants to know about. But it's going to help you when you get into a relationship with, with the holes in your bucket and the holes in someone else's bucket. And the question is this, it's are you the person, the person you're looking for, is looking for. In other words, you acknowledge that you've got holes in your bucket and you acknowledge that no one else is perfect and they've got holes in their bucket as well. But, but if we have this mentality that I'm going to find the right person, what it means is we never take the time to become the right person. And when you take the time to become the right person, what you say is, hey, there are some holes in my bucket and some of them are not my fault but they're in my bucket and it's my responsibility to go about sorting them out. It's not someone else's responsibility to fix the holes in my bucket, but it's your responsibility and it's my responsibility to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Now, the good news is, is that we have a piece of ancient literature. In fact, it's probably one of the most famous pieces of ancient literature that we have on the idea of love. Even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, chances are you've heard this piece of literature read. It's read at weddings all across the, the country, all across the world, each and every weekend. Uh, even if you've been to weddings and you're, they're not really religious weddings, they will weave this ancient piece of literature in there in some form or another. And you'll, when we jump into this tonight, you're going to be like, oh, I've heard this. I just didn't realize it was written by a Christian. 
I didn't realize it was included in the 66 books that Christians know as the Bible. And in fact, the person who wrote this piece of ancient literature that we're going to look at, his name is Paul. Before he was a Christian and planted churches, Paul was a Christian killer and tried to eradicate followers of Jesus off the face of the planet. And Paul, once he became a Christian, started planting all these little churches around the Mediterranean Rim. And he planted a church in the Greek city of Corinth. And this was a city, as we're going to discover if you come back for part three, and we're going to talk all about sex, that this was a city that made our culture look PG-13 at best. It probably made our culture look G-rated. This was a culture where sex was part of the fabric of society. And so Paul writes this letter to this church at Corinth, detailing and explaining to them, hey, this is how you go about relationships. And this, this is how you begin to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, because he paints this picture of the right person. And so we're going to dive into this picture of the right person, and it starts, if, you, uh, if you've got your iPhones or your Bibles, it starts in 1 Corinthians 13. But this is how Paul starts, he says, love is patient. In other words, love will choose to go at the pace of the other person. If the other person wants to slow the relationship down, if the other person wants to pump the brakes, love will say, that's okay, I'm happy to go at your speed. Fellas, if you want to know what love is patient looks like, just ask your girl where she wants to eat. And when she says, I'm not really that interested, it's not a big idea, and then you say, okay, well, how about we go Italian? And she goes, well, I'm not really feeling Italian. How about we go French? Not really feeling French. How about we go? This will show you, this will give you a glimpse into what Paul is talking about when he says love is patient. Love waits for your girl to decide where she wants to eat. And then he goes on, he says, love is kind. And this isn't the idea of, you know, we have this kind of like, oh, he's so nice. This is, she's so nice, this fluffy feeling. What this idea is love is kind is actually says that love protects the other person. Love is, love is kind is not a feeling, but love will actually protect the other person. It will insert itself in between the other person and, and other people who are trying to come into that relationship, and it will protect the relationship. And then he goes on, he starts to unpack a little bit of some things that love is not. He says, love is not jealous. And if you're wondering what jealousy looks like in a relationship, um, jealous couples usually search hashtag couple goals. You're that person that's in there and you're searching hashtag couple goals and you're showing it and you go, why can't we be like this couple? Why can't you be fun like him? Why can't you be outgoing like her? Why can't we be doing the things that they're doing? We could be doing this if it wasn't for, for your friends or we could be out here having fun if it wasn't for the fact that you like to stay inside or, or we could be sitting at home watching a movie if it wasn't for the fact that you like to be out all the time. And what it says is love is not jealous because love isn't looking for a comparison point out in the world. Love isn't looking around saying, who can we compare each other to to try and see how we're doing? Because love is focused on the person sitting across the table from it. And then he says another thing love is not. He says, love is not boastful. Now, instead of the person searching for hashtag couple goals, this is the person posting about hashtag couple goals. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, like celebrate your partner and celebrate how incredible they are. But, but this is the idea that Paul is saying that uh, you want to show the world how great your relationship is because your relationship is validated by the number of likes you get. Your relationship is validated when people tell you how incredible your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your marriage, your, your engagement is. And Paul says love doesn't look 
Love doesn't look to the outside world to justify it or validate it because love is focused on the other person. And then he goes on, he says, love is also not proud. Because Paul, the way Paul would describe proud is this idea of, of puffed up. In other words, you've got a swelled head. And the reason Paul describes it this way is because when pride enters into a relationship, when it begins to get puffed up, when it begins to swell, there's not as much room for the other person. And the bigger and bigger that pride gets, the smaller and smaller it pushes the other person down. And so Paul says pride has no place in a relationship because it diminishes the one person while pushing the other person up. And then this last thing he says is, is uh, love is not rude. Now, this is sort of not what, how we would understand the word rude. You know, how rude. Paul is talking about rude here in a different sense. Paul is saying love is not rude in that love protects the other person from ever experiencing regret. In other words, if there's a situation that you're put in, yep, it'll come up in a second. If there's a situation that you're, gonna, that you're put in, and, and uh, love would never put you in a situation where, where it might think that in five or 10 or 20 years' time that you would ever look back and regret a situation that happened in a relationship, which means love protects the other person, and love also um, doesn't put or ask people to be in situations where they may experience regret down the track. And then he keeps going on. He says, it doesn't demand its own way. In other words, love has a you-first approach to solving conflict as opposed to a me-first approach to resolving conflict. When a tension arises, love says, well, let's do what you want to do. Let's figure out what you think, and then we'll maybe talk about the way I would do it or the way that I would think. He says, it is not irritable. This is honestly the biggest thing that I struggle with. You just ask my wife, okay? I, I just like peace and quiet, and my wife is one of the noisiest people on the planet. And so this is something I have to wrestle with like all the time because I'll just be like relaxing and, and Emma will be doing something, it'll be bang, crash, boom, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and it just, like, this is something that's so, for me, this is the hardest thing to do when it comes to love. Love is not irritable. In other words, love doesn't get angry. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love puts itself in the other person's shoes and asks, were they deliberately trying to irritate me? Or were they just trying to do something else? And so love puts itself in the, the other shoes so it doesn't feel that irritation. Then it goes on, it says, it keeps no records of being wronged. This is something we often don't do so well in our culture. See, when we hear this, keeps no record of being wrong. What this often means is we will stay in a relationship longer than we have to because we just forget what, other, what the person has done in our past. This is not what Paul's saying. If, so, if you're in a relationship uh, where, where you're experiencing abuse or you're experiencing, uh, or you feel unsafe, that is not a relationship where you should forget the wrongs. Paul's not saying to forget. Paul's saying to forgive, but he's saying when you're in a relationship and a tension arises and there's, there's an there's a argument and there's an opportunity for you to point back to something that happened a week ago or to bring up something happened six, that's happened six months ago or to remind that person of the other 300 times they do this thing. Paul says, step away and refuse that right. And instead of bringing up the past, point towards the future. Because when you bring up the past, you show to the other person that you keep a record of their wrongs. And Paul says, love doesn't do that. 
Because love is future focused. Love says there's a tension, there's an issue. How do we resolve this conflict and move into the future facing forward, not focusing on the past? Then he continues, he says, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Which is a little bit interesting for us because because what Paul's saying here is love's primary goal is not happiness. Love's primary goal is bringing the truth out in other people. Because here's the thing, you know that as your happiness increases and if there comes a point where happiness and truth will intersect, you can choose to lie and the happiness will go up. But there will come a point where that, tr- where that lie comes to the surface and your happiness will decline. So Paul is saying that in a relationship, the goal is not your happiness, but the goal is for truth to win out which means that love has the difficult conversations. Love won't always be easy, but love fights for what is right. Because ultimately, in the end, when you fight for the truth, happiness follows where the truth comes. Because there can be no happiness in a relationship where lies abound. And you know this, and you've experienced it. But there are times in all our relationships when we're, when we're with our significant other and we think, oh, well, it's okay, it's just them. Maybe, maybe I'll blur the lines a little bit. And Paul says, no, 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 love doesn't do that if you're looking at the long-term picture. And then he says, perhaps one of the most famous parts of this passage, he says, love never gives up. Love never gives up. What that looks like and what that means is that you, if you have a disagreement with the person you're in a relationship with, and you maybe take some time to cool out, you don't call your friends and tell them about that disagreement and try to get them on your side. In fact, uh, psychologists and counsellors call that triangulating. Maybe you've experienced it before where, where, where a couple are having an argument and they turn to their friends and go, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? And you try to get them on their, their side. Because Paul says the aim of resolving conflict is not to win the argument, it's to fight for the relationship. And when you bring in someone else, what you're essentially saying to the other person is, I've given up. And Paul says, love doesn't give up. Love realizes that it might need time to cool out. But then love comes back and resolves the conflict. In fact, my wife and I, we actually have a uh, a rule that if we get angry at each other and we're frustrated and then we have to go out, that we will always support each other publicly when we're out. Because our disagreement is between us. It's not because we want people to think we have the best marriage in the world. It's because at the end of the day, we're both going to apologize to each other. And so there's no need to bring someone else into that discussion that is our discussion to have. Then he goes on, he says, love never loses faith and is always hopeful. Which means that love inserts, uh, love inserts truth into the doubts. When, when, when there's a, a space, maybe they didn't text you back when you wanted them to text you back. Love doesn't say, oh, I bet you they didn't text me back because they're just overwhelmed with how much I love them. I bet you they didn't text me back because they're texting him or her back. I bet you they didn't text me back because they don't love me and it's all over and it's all going to pieces. Love actually inserts faith in the gap. Love inserts hope in the gap and says, you know what, maybe the reason they didn't text me back is because they're in the shower. Maybe the reason they didn't text me back is because uh, they were working on a uni assignment and they had their phone in another room. Maybe the reason they didn't text me back was because their phone went dead and they couldn't. Maybe the reason they didn't text me back is because they had a family emergency and so they had to rush away really quickly and they left their phone at home. Love inserts trust into the gap where doubt could creep in. 
And then he finishes with this beautiful illustration. He says, and endures, love endures through every circumstance. And with this, Paul kind of paints this picture of a Roman centurion. Because the way that Paul talks about enduring is not that love just sucks it up, but Paul actually paints the picture here of a Roman centurion at battle in an army, which means that love fights when it needs to, but it also, with its shield and with its sword, endures the arrows from the enemy, endures the conflict all around it. Love stands its ground and says, hey, I'm part of an army, I hold my line in this wall, and I am going to stand here no matter what is thrown around. Love continues to endure when that feeling is gone, when that, uh, when, when that uh, feeling of love is gone, when that feeling of happiness is gone. Love endures through the good times and love endures through the difficult times as well because really what Paul is driving at is moving us away from this idea that love is this beautiful, happy feeling that we get when we watch a rom-com and get a release of endorphins. Love is not a feeling we get when we're on our first date and we're looking at each other's eyes and we're like, ooh, I wonder if he likes me. I wonder if she likes me. No, love's, Paul is moving past this and saying love is actually not a feeling. Love is actually a verb. Love is actually something we do. Love is a decision we make. In other words, Paul would say it this way, that love does. Love actually does. And Paul didn't get this picture of love from sitting at home on a Friday night, pulling up Netflix or turning on whatever was on the Jerusalem TV in the first century and watching Married at First Sight, first century edition, watching the, watching the Bachelorette, you know, Jerusalem edition, or watching the Bachelor Rome edition, Paul actually got this from the teachings of Jesus. Because when Jesus lived just a couple of years before Paul, or they actually would have lived at the same time, Jesus always taught that love is not a feeling, but love is a decision. That love is actually a verb, and love does regardless of of feelings and regardless of circumstances. And the reason that Paul paints this picture of, the, of how to become the right person is not because he saw Zac Efron in High School Musical, but because what he saw was Jesus talk about this his whole life and then not just talk about it, but go to a cross and be brutally tortured by the Roman government and hang between two criminals with nails between his hands and between his feet and a crown of thorns rammed on his head for a crime that he didn't commit. And the reason Jesus did this wasn't to get something from the world, but it was because it was to show the world how much God loved them. To reconnect the world and give the world an opportunity to reconnect with a God that they had disconnected from. And Paul had this understanding of Jesus that, that even when the world wasn't patient, even when the world wasn't kind, even when the world wasn't willing to endure, even when the world was willing to give up on God, God was not willing to give up on the world. And Jesus was not willing to give up on the world. And so Jesus went and spread his arms on a cross as a demonstration of love and an opportunity for the world to reconnect back to God. Really what Paul would say, if you want to become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for, don't go and watch The Notebook but be more and love more like Jesus because that's a picture of love. So I understand that that's a, a lot to take in for one night. So I want to I give you uh, an application uh, where the, so the rubber can hit the road and then we'll shoot on out of here. Uh, the way we kind of do our applications here at Beyond, we call them a full Monday. 
because uh, we, we believe that if you're going to come here, that what we talk about should impact your life and impact your friendships and impact the world around you. And so we just kind of like to signpost it in a Four Monday so that you cannot miss it. And the Four Monday is this week, uh, it's kind of got two parts, but the first part, I just want you to simply ask this question. Are you becoming the person, the person you're looking for is looking for? In other words, when you go through your life, are you just assuming, hey, I'm going to fill my bucket and it's going to get to a point where I'll find the right person and everything will be all right? Or are you actually taking steps to, to start to pop the holes in some of the buckets? Maybe to actually have a bucket that doesn't have any holes in it. So that when you meet the right person, you are actually the person that they're looking for as well. And to kind of help you out with this, because we understand that this can be a difficult thing, you know, I read that list that Paul wrote of, of the, the right person, and I think, man, there are so many ways and there are so many areas in my life where I fall short, where do I start? So we've made it really, really simple for you. And on our Facebook page, you can, you can pull your phone out and you can go there right now, actually. We've actually uploaded a quiz that um, is designed to help show you some of the blind spots in your relationships, to help show you and signpost for you some of the blind spots in the way that you go about loving other people. And it talks about things like uh, the family home that you grew up in, maybe some of the relationships that you've had in the past, the relationship you're in right now. And it sort of just kind of signposts and says, hey, here's some things that maybe you haven't thought about. And here's some ways that you maybe haven't thought about, some blind spots that maybe you haven't considered that will help you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. And before we wrap up, I just want to take a minute to, to address some of the people who are pushing back. And I know, I know I'm kind of drilling this point home, but I really feel that it's important. I want you to get it. Because I get that there are some of you, and you, you sit here and you, you hear me say that, and you think, okay, Chris, but if I become the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for, that means I have to address some of the holes in my bucket. And I'm aware of what the holes in my bucket are, and I don't like them. There's a reason I haven't addressed them yet. There's a reason it's, it's taken me so long to get around to addressing these holes, because I know if I talk about them, if I think about them, it'll bring up memories I don't want to deal with. It'll make me uncomfortable. And Paul, after he, he writes this beautiful um, idea of, of the pers- uh, how to become the right person, he kind of finishes with this little-known epilogue. And this is what Paul says. He says, when I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. In other words, when I was a child, I spoke about love like a child. I thought about love like a child. I reasoned about love like a child. But then he finishes it this way. He says, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. And let's be honest, right? How many adults do you know and how many of your friends that you know that would consider themselves adults that go about their relationships in such a childish way? How many guys do you know that still treat women as commodities? Women, how, many go, how many girls do you know that still date guys just to boost their self-esteem? How many couples do you know that like each other but won't be the first one to text them because they're afraid that the person they know likes them will find out they like them? We go about relationships in such childish ways and Paul's saying, hey, let's stop it. Let's address it. Let's begin to plug the holes in our bucket. But in order for us to plug the holes in our bucket, we have to realize we need to put away this childish thinking. We need to realize that love is more than a feeling. Love is a verb. And it means for us not to find the right person, but to become the right person. So this week, ask that question. Are you becoming 
the person, the person you're looking for, is looking for. Take the quiz online and then come back next week for part two. My wife is going to be up here and we're going to talk all about our first date. It's going to be a great week, but I would love to invite the band back up and then we're going to pray for all of us right now. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that we have a picture of love to look at. And we thank you that it actually doesn't come from a feeling, it doesn't come from a rom-com, but it comes from a demonstration of love that happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. And Lord, for those of us this week who are, who are maybe wrestling with our love life, maybe uh, there are some people out there who their love life is a cause uh, of distress and a cause of tension. Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity for them to think maybe instead of how am I finding the one, how am I becoming the one? And for those of us who, who love our love lives and, and maybe think their love lives are great, how this week can we continue to become the right person? Because there are always going to be holes in our bucket as long as we live. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to address some of those holes in our bucket. Because the truth of the matter is, if we fail to address them now, in five or 10 or 15 years' time, we may be sitting across from the person that we're looking for, the person that we believe is the right person for us. But the truth is they may look us back in the eye and say, you're not the right person for me. And Lord, I don't want that for anyone here. Because when that happens, what they're going to do again is they're just going to go back again and begin to take steps to become the right person. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone on the fence that tonight they would actually begin to take steps to become the person that the person they're looking for is looking for. So it will save them future regrets. I thank you that Paul wrote this and recorded it for us and we're able to look at it tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.